Hey, it's Matt Bowles. If you want to hang out with me in person, I'm going to be at the Latino Travel Fest in Elizabeth, New Jersey, May 31st to June 2nd. And I've got a 15% discount for you to join me. Just go to themaverickshow.com slash Latino. That's L-A-T-I-N-O. There you're going to see your 15% discounted ticket. There are going to be multiple guests from The Maverick Show attending, so you'll be able to hang out with all of us in person. You do not need to be Latino in order to attend Everyone is welcome. Again, get your discounted ticket at themaverickshow.com slash Latino. And as soon as you do, send me a DM on Instagram at Matt Bowles Maverick. Let me know that you're coming so that we can make plans to link up in person. And now here's a clip of what's coming up on today's episode. We recorded a music video with Snoop Dogg. We did the Super Bowl halftime show with Beyonce. I think everyone on the outside is looking in. Like Marissa's just hanging out with all of these incredible artists and going to these really intimate shows and literally attending the Grammys, the Golden Globes, walking the red carpet, just like hanging with celebrities. And this really was my life. But even though it was an incredible experience, it wasn't what I wanted to be doing. I wanted to try entrepreneurship. I didn't want to have a boss. I wanted to kind of just do my own thing and live a different life. So I wanted to travel. And so I restarted everything. This is The Maverick Show, where you'll meet today's most interesting real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and world travelers, and learn the strategies and tactics they use to succeed. And now, here's your host, Matt Bowles. Hey, everybody, it's Matt Bowles. Welcome to The Maverick Show. My guest today is Marissa Medin. She is a serial entrepreneur, a real estate professional, a clarity advisor, and career coach who helps individuals identify, pursue, and achieve careers and lifestyles that they truly love. Out of college, Marissa worked for Pepsi in brand marketing, moving up the ranks in New York and Los Angeles over six years with the company. As part of a team of three, she managed the $1.5 billion Diet Pepsi brand. Marissa also managed all music events and music partnerships and worked directly with celebrities such as Sofia Vergara, Beyonce, and Snoop Dogg and attended red carpet events such as the Grammys, the Golden Globes, and the Clio Awards. In 2016, Marissa left her corporate job and started an e commerce business selling desserts. Less than two years later, she launched her second business called Talk College to Me, where she built an online course that helps families in the U.S. navigate the college admissions process. That course now generates her enough passive income to cover her lifestyle expenses. Marissa is also a certified life coach, And in her third business, she works with clients from around the world as a clarity advisor and career coach. Marissa donates 10% of all her profits from all of her businesses to Pencils for Promise, which works on poverty reduction through education and builds schools and supports teachers in low-income areas around Guatemala, Ghana, and Laos. 
And Marissa is a full-time digital nomad who runs all of her businesses remotely while traveling the world and has now been to over 45 countries. Marissa, welcome to the show. Thank you, Matt. So excited to be here today. So excited to have (laughs) you here. We need to set the scene just to begin with. You and I are in Lisbon, Portugal. Lisboa. Lisboa. And we have just opened a beautiful Mm. bottle of Portuguese red wine, which we are going to be drinking through throughout the episode. And I understand this is your first time in Lisbon. It is. And it is exceeding my expectations. I love that. What uh, has been your experience so far? How has Lisbon been for you? It's been a blast. So you and I just got off of the Nomad Cruise. So it is full of really wonderful people that we've met over the past week. So for me, that always makes things more exciting. But the city is a fun place to explore. There's winding streets that go everywhere. There's some really beautiful parks. We've uh, listened to some really interesting photo music you exposed me to, some great food and Pretty views. I like the waters. Yeah, definitely one of my favorite cities in all of Western Europe for sure. And before we came here, we also got to hang out in some other cool countries. We're in the Canary Islands for a while together, and we spent a day in Casablanca, Morocco, which I understand was your first time in Morocco as well. It was. It was. We had some fun adventures there, got some fun street food, went to a mosque, all exceeding my expectations here. So we've had some fun adventures very quickly. We have indeed. Yeah, the Hassan II Mosque in Casablanca is one of my favorites in the world. It's a relatively new mosque. It was built, I think, in the early 90s. And it is just, I believe it's now the largest mosque on the continent of Africa, certainly the top two or three. I think it is the largest, though. But it is just an amazing piece of architecture, and it's right on the beach. My favorite part. I love the water. Yeah, it's, it's really <laughs> it's spectacular. You just go there and it's just mesmerizing. You just want to like look at it in awe and just spend time there and you just don't want to leave. It's, it is true. I love the beach and all of the design of it was incredible. So it was a fun day. Yeah, super awesome. And you and I were just talking that before I came to Europe last month, I was out at the South by Southwest conference in Austin, Texas. And I yeah. got to speak on a super cool panel on remote entrepreneurship. It was an amazing honor to do that. Met some awesome people. And I was just, it was my first time at South by. And I was just totally blown away by everything about the conference, the people that I met, the events that were there. The, uh, I mean, it was just, you know, cinema and music and art and entrepreneurship and everything all together. And it was just blew me away. But you have been to that conference before. What was your experience like? I have. I've been many times. I used to go every year in my my old job, my old years we'll talk about. I used to work for Pepsi in marketing. And so I used to go to see the latest digital trends, music trends, all of that. But it's an awesome experience. I mean, all of the people who are there, it's really, I mean, aside from the awesome conferences and panels, just the events going on on the outside, the networking, the people who are there and have had some fun stories there as well. I want to hear some <laughs> of them. I mean, I, you know, for me, it was just one thing after another. And I just kept having experiences that I didn't even expect. <laughs> I mean, I would go to like 
I went to this sort of hip hop DJ event, which was one of these after parties, and it was this whole DJ lineup. But then, like in the middle of the DJ show, major like '90s hip hop artists would just appear on stage unannounced. <laughs> Out of so like Redman comes up on stage and just does like a 45 minute performance, completely unannounced. I'm like three feet away, so it was just like <laughs> surprise after surprise, and one thing after another. And it was just the whole thing just like left my head spinning. But what was your yes? Uh, I can relate like? to the surprises as well. You never know who's gonna be. You know, so I came from the brand partnership side. So we had some of those surprise artists. That's what we brought from Pepsi. But one of my favorite moments there, gosh, I was just walking down 6th Street in Austin for anyone who's been crazy street. It's busy. It starts pouring. We walk into a, a, a side bar on the side of the road just to get out of the rain and Ashton Kutcher and Mark Cuban walk in after us. So that was quite a surprise. So hung out. There was probably 10 people in the bar in total. And we ended up leaving about 30 minutes later. Walking down the street, I have to say I'd had a little bit of alcohol, to be fair, at one in the morning. And Mark Cuban was kind of dancing down the street and drunk me decided I should challenge him to a salsa dancing contest, which was a great idea. I knew who he was at the time, but I didn't realize he'd been on Dancing with the Stars. So I uh, I don't think I won that contest, but I did salsa dance with Mark Cuban in the street on Austin, in Austin, Texas at, at one in the morning. So that was a fun one. That's an amazing <laughs> story. <That's> so <laughs> Special that, times in Austin. <laughs> that's so epic. Yeah, you never know. I mean, it's, never it, know. It, it's truly amazing who you might run into or just see meandering around at South by Southwest. It is Absolutely. incredible. So great people. That's awesome. But I want, let's talk <laughs> Let's talk more about your experiences with Pepsi. Absolutely. You were there for six years and over the course of that, I'm sure, had a lot of different experiences. Can you talk a little bit about the types of work that you were doing there, the types of events that you were involved with and the, the people that you were working with? Yeah. Honestly, Pepsi was a fabulous experience. So I worked in brand marketing there and I can honestly say I worked among some of the top marketers in the entire world and just incredible people who are still... I call my best friends. You know, I still keep in touch with so many of them. And I worked, what I loved about my time there is you kind of rotate between different roles every year, year or two. So I worked looking at global innovation trends when I first started. I worked on the Diet Pepsi brand, as you mentioned. There was only three of us managing a $1.5 billion brand. And I was young. And the fact that I got to do this at the time was incredible working. Uh, Sofia Vergara was the face of Diet Pepsi when I was working on that brand and just working on different TV campaigns and advertising advertising and different radio and writing the scripts for it and just learning how everything worked into how do you get your product into store? How do you learn about the consumer? How do you understand when they're drinking and where they're buying it? And just really, really incredible experience. And then my last two years worked on our our music team out in LA, which was a blast. So anything that touched our music business, the Super Bowl halftime show, I was going to the Grammys, meeting with people from labels, going to these small, really small concerts with like Pharrell and 15 other people to see what his latest song was just because they wanted to do brand partnerships potentially. So the things that I did, I looked back and it was like, that was incredible. How did I get to do that? And it was just, it learned a lot and it was a ton of fun. That's awesome. I mean, so let's start a little bit just at the beginning of your Pepsi experience when you were kind of coming in to Pepsi, you know, for the first time and you were involved with some of the influencer marketing strategies that they were doing at the time, right? What were, what were those like and what was going on there? Yeah, absolutely. So I had a chance. I was actually between my junior and senior year of college. Um, I was an intern at Pepsi. It was, um, really, really fun. So a lot of my peers were just doing 
random paperwork and stuff. I was helping throw, we called them Sobe Summer Fridays. So I was working on the Sobe brand team, which is a Pepsi product. And at the time, this was pre-Instagram influencer. But we would throw these incredible parties in these Tribeca studios in New York every Friday in the summer that I worked there and had artists come and perform like Robin Thicke, Asher Roth. There was all sorts of athletes. And we would basically just invite all sorts of bloggers, influencers, anybody to come and write about their experiences to share the brand. And like that was my part, part of my job during the summer as an intern. It was incredible. That's amazing. And then as you moved into the music department, right? Yeah. You started managing the music events and the uh, relationships with musicians. What was that like? And who were some of the people that you worked directly with? And what were some of those experiences like? Yeah, that was a blast. The music world is a whole different ballgame to learn. So I think one of the incredible things working at Pepsi is the things that you may not have otherwise ever come across. So I probably never would have had music experience, but I learned everything from how licensing works, who you have to get permission to, to post songs and commercials, how to hire, write out hundreds of thousand dollars of contracts to have a live performance. I was doing music videos. So we recorded a music video with Snoop Dogg was in part of it. Um, we did the Super Bowl halftime show with Beyonce, had events with people like Dirks Bentley, did a whole brand partnership with Florida Georgia Line for any country fans out there. Um, but it it was an incredible experience just to learn who, you know, these artists are brands in and of themselves. So to learn what they stand for and how they can help our brands explain, you know, as a soda, as a product, as a beverage, you know, you use an artist to show what you stand for, which is really cool. That's awesome. So what, what was it like on the Snoop Dogg shoot? What was the scenario there where you were working with him? Yeah, that was a fun one. So this, this, the Snoop uh, video, it was actually a, a video we did with Prince Royce, who was a Pepsi artist. And Snoop happened to be uh, doing a song with him. So I went out. We were in L.A. in the Valley at about 10 p.m. is when Snoop was supposed to come. I think we started around 1 a.m. with his scenes. He came and did a couple, was supposed to do a few more, decided to, to just do what he wanted and head out. But, I mean, he is a cool guy. I feel like he, he's got swag, right? He comes in and just kind of does what he wants, has a feel of what he wants. He just, like, flowing and leaves. He's... <laughs> man. <laughs> Snoop will be Snoop. Snoop will be Snoop. That's amazing. It was that's, fun. That's awesome. So, <laughs> I think I was there till five in the morning. Thanks, Snoop. <laughs> that's amazing. So over the course of your work at Pepsi yeah. and your all of these different experiences, can you distill down some of the business lessons that you learned that you were then able to extrapolate when you later went into your entrepreneurial trajectory and maybe in just in general that business owners uh, could learn from as well? Because Pepsi obviously is one of the most successful brands in the world. Yeah. And so you were inside that right at the helm. So can you share any business lessons and maybe distill some down that you took away from that experience in your six years? Yeah, absolutely. So what I like to say about my time at Pepsi and brand marketers at these huge product companies in general is you're really good and knowledgeable at a lot of things, but you're not great at any one thing. So I like to think about it as like, this like a hub and spokes like of, of a wheel coming out. So as a brand marketer, you're kind of the center of everything. And it's your job to make sure that all of your cross-functional teams are digging in and overseeing and talking to everything. So as a brand manager, you know, I would work with our sales team, with our PR team, with our 
digital agencies, you know, everyone doing print, radio, in-store pricing, our packaging engineers, packaging design, the look and feel of the whole brand and our research teams who are looking at how often people are consuming products. And as someone who's on the brand, it's your job to really dig into the analytics and understand where in the country are people consuming your product? Where are they buying it? Where is it falling short? What is changing? So I think for me, you know, as I went out and started my next business, it was fascinating because I really know all the things I needed to know, but I didn't really know in detail how to actually execute everything myself, which was, you know, we'll get to that about how I actually learned the next businesses. But what I really learned was how to build a brand at Pepsi, what it stands for, how to have a look and feel, how to know who you're talking to and really just know your consumer in and out, understand how they're purchasing it and how you come across as a brand, what your approach is, what your style is. Can you share some specific pieces of advice um, on how to go about doing that, how to build a brand for businesses of any size, including small businesses? So what are the principles or tips or pieces of advice that companies can put into action? Yeah. One of my favorite ones is that when you talk to everyone, you talk to no one. And so I think that, you know, myself included, when you go out into entrepreneurship or you're building a business is you think that if you could just kind of have a product that serves everyone, you have more chance of making money, right? There's just more people out there who are likely to buy your product. And even if you think about the brand, a Pepsi brand, where truly so many different types of people throughout the world are drinking it, as a brand manager, it's still your job to pick a target and decide who they are and just talk to that one person. So I think the lesson that I took away was for any brand you're building, whether it's a soda, whether it's real estate, whether it's a life coach, you know, whoever you are is figure out your target consumer and pretend like they're literally a person. What is their name? Who are they? What do they do when they wake up? What do they drink in the morning? Who are they calling throughout the day? Who are their friends? What kind of families do they have? What kind of car do they drive? Where do they shop? What are they wearing? Do they play video games? Like, how are they entertaining? What magazines are they reading? Like, the more detail you can write about who that person is, the clearer you can be within your marketing and everything you do serves that person. And people are going to connect with that. And you end up connecting with people who are more than that, but at least you have this consistent personality, whether you're a person, a business, a brand, a product, it doesn't matter. Like you got to pick that person, know them in and out. And that way you can pick your marketing strategies based on that. That's awesome. So after six years at Pepsi and having all of these unbelievable experiences and getting access to red carpet award shows and hanging out with celebrities and learning from the best of the best in the yeah. marketing world, why did you choose to leave Pepsi? What was the sort of transition there that happened? It's a wonderful question because it confused many people, right? I think everyone on the outside is looking in like Marissa's just hanging out with all of these incredible artists and going to these really intimate shows and literally attending in the Grammys, the Golden Globes, walking the red carpet, just like hanging with celebrities. And this really was my life. But even though it was an incredible experience, it wasn't what I wanted to be doing. And I think that's so important for many people. You know, when I was out of college, I felt like I wanted to do these, you know, work with prestigious brands and do things that I thought were cool and that other people thought was cool. And at the end of the day, as I was with my peers at Pepsi, who were obsessed with the latest apps and the latest marketing trends and reading all about it, it wasn't what I loved. Like that wasn't what I wanted to be doing in my spare time. And 
as for Pepsi as a product, I don't really drink caffeine. I don't drink much soda. So while it was an incredible company, incredible people, it wasn't what resonated with me personally. I wanted to try entrepreneurship. I didn't want to have a boss. I wanted to kind of just do my own thing and live a different life. So I wanted to travel and I'd read the four hour work week and I was like, I got to do that. So that was kind of the start of it. But I think what's really important is that even though I knew that, I had no idea what to do next. I sat there and I was like, I know this isn't right, but I don't know what else to do. It's easy. I'm good at this. Like the company knows me. They trust me. I'm working remotely in LA. You know, it was easy. It was really easy. And so the decision to leave, even though I wanted to kind of happened because I was living in LA. I was in a relationship. I was engaged and I decided not to get married. And I didn't have a life in LA. I I left. I knew it wasn't right. And it was just one of those moments that kind of made me rethink everything I was doing. And it was in that moment, I just said, this isn't right. I got to do something new. And so that's where the next business came into play. So let's talk a little bit about that transition for you. And once you made that choice to do a major life pivot. Major. Everything changed. Everything changed. I mean, (laughs) everything. I I can relate to that as well. (laughs) Absolutely everything. You've done it too. As you know, all my academic career and my entire work background up to the age of 30 completely changed and pivoted. I got fired from my job and I entirely reinvented, Mm -hmm. you know, everything and went went into the entrepreneurial direction, the location independent uh, direction and everything else, right? Became a digital nomad later on and all that. So I can relate to that. But can you talk specifically, though, about that pivot and what that was like and what your next move was there as you entered the entrepreneurial path? Absolutely. So as I look back, it was honestly probably the hardest time in my life for many reasons, right? As we just said, I was starting over for, I think, you know, if I was still in a relationship or I was still living in the same place and and was just starting, that would be one thing. But like you, it's just, I restarted everything and I don't regret it, but it was hard as hell. As I did, I started this e-commerce dessert business and I actually started because I got a offer for a promotion at Pepsi to start a new team. And I had to be in either New York or LA. And I didn't want to be in either anymore. And I was actually home over the holidays at this time when this offer came. And I was out walking with my mom. And she had owned these four bakeries in Atlanta, where I grew up, that she had closed about 20 years ago. But as we were walking, she said, you know, someone, this stranger tracked me down on Facebook. She sent me a message asking me to bake these brownies for her for the holidays. And I was like, are you going to do it? And she said, no. She's like, I'm not baking anymore. I don't want to, I don't want to do that. And it was just like, this happened time and time again with her, these people asking for her products. And so my business mind is like turning and I'm like, okay, business background, like there's an opportunity, there's a demand. There's this, as I just talked about building a story, it was this like really wonderful family brand, the story. I didn't even know how to bake her products, but I was like, I'll do it. You know, why not? I'm serious. I I don't want to take this new job. I think I want to be back in Atlanta. Why not? So that was how it happened. And I was like, do you think this is a good idea, mom? And she was like, I don't, you know, she probably didn't, but let me do it. And so that's kind of how it started. And so I decided to bring, it was her brand, her business. Again, right, it's that brand story that I've been talking about. Now it's the second generation. People love a good family story. So I brought just one product of hers back and I didn't, again, I was trying to live the Tim Ferriss uh, digital nomad dream. So I didn't open bakeries like she had. I decided I was just going to bake them wherever. I was going to figure it out, ship them all online. So I didn't need a store. I was going to outsource the baking as soon as I could and just run this business from my laptop. And so that's kind of how this business came about. 
That's awesome. And it's really interesting what you're saying about the family sort of lineage there. And I know also around, was it around the same time that you also decided to get your real estate license? And can you talk about the family lineage of that? Yes. The double side. Great question. So yeah. So my mother did the bakery side. She was an entrepreneur. My father is also an entrepreneur. So he does commercial real estate. And so as I was quitting my job, this is terrifying. I'm losing this solid income that I've grown to know starting this dessert business, which I have no knowledge of doing, I decided as a backup to get my real estate license at the same time. So it took me about six months from the day I decided to start this dessert business to launch. And during that time, you know, I was waiting for graphic designs to come back. I was waiting for packaging samples, figuring out all sorts of things. So I had some free time and got my real estate license as well at this time. So several reasons for that. One, um, it was a little bit of a backup. So I decided I'll go if I can't make any money selling these brownies over the internet, then I have an interest. I have family background in real estate. So I figured if all else fails, I'll fall back on that. I found interest in residential real estate specifically. So that was a goal. And then just to have it as, as part of my family to know, I thought it was just kind of useful. And then turned out it was some good, surprising passive income. I didn't realize you could just send friends to other real estate agents who, you know, if they buy with someone else, just to be a connector, I got a commission. So I've made thousands of dollars doing that, which was like a side bonus. And now I've been introduced to Matt and we'll send many more people his way for some uh, residential real estate investing. Exciting for that. Yeah, I love that. I mean, our conversation about that was so cool because you were telling me about how you had just realized that with a real estate license, you can actually just refer people <laughs> to other yeah. agents that do all the work. And <laughs> exactly. then as long as you made the introduction, you're going to get paid something. And I explained to you that Maverick Investor Group, <laughs> which is a licensed real estate brokerage, yeah. right? that the only way someone can get paid for referring a client to us who buys real estate is if they have a real estate license. So people ask us all the time and we're like, right. no, sorry, it's a heavily regulated yeah, industry. Yeah, very regulated. It's unequivocally yeah. not legal to pay out referral fees or commissions or things like that to people that don't have a real estate license. But... If you are an active real estate agent with a license hung with a broker, then absolutely you can refer your clients, friends, family to Maverick. And if they buy real estate through us, we absolutely have an affiliate uh, network. We call it the Maverick Referral Network for real estate agents all around the United States. And so I told you about this and you're like, <laughs> like great. You're like, ding, where ding, have you been all my life? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I think it's incredible what you're doing. And it's an interesting, you know, as, as, you and I are both digital nomads to think, you know, real estate is typically an area where you have to be there and be showing places. And that's, you know, all I knew. So for me, I was surprised where, again, I could be in Spain and send my friend, you know, who lives in Michigan to a random real estate agent who then sends me thousands of dollars for a percentage of their properties for selling or for buying and then learning what you do. I was like, oh my gosh, well, you know, as people are starting, you know, my friends, family who are interested in investing and in, in income properties and things like that, I think the thing that holds everyone back. They have no idea what to buy or where to buy it. And you make that so easy. So I was, oh my gosh, like all the bells are going off the, the night we met. I was like, this is exciting. Like I'm going to, I'm going to send people your way. Absolutely. And it was also really cool because on the Nomad Cruise, I did a meetup on how yeah. to buy turnkey real estate investment properties in the best U.S. real estate markets from anywhere in the world without having to be there. 
And we probably had, I don't know, 30 plus people turn out at the meetup from countries all around the world. They were like, wait a minute, you're telling me I can buy <laughs> real estate in the United States. Right. I don't have to be there. Nope. I don't have to live near it. I nope. don't have to manage the deal with the tenant and be That's the landlord. <laughs> but I actually own the deeded property. It's not a REIT. It's not a you know syndicated thing or anything. I actually own the house. I get all the benefits of owning the real estate, but I don't have to be there and manage it or even come to the United States. That's amazing. Hell yeah. Right. Yeah. So like, <laughs> Sign me so, up. <laughs> so, yeah. So it's, you know, so as, as more and more people understand the model, you know, whether they're agents like you who have potential clients or they're real estate investor yeah. buyers that just simply value their time and they don't want to do all the legwork of figuring out how to do everything. Cause and it's find a lot stuff. of work otherwise and it is yeah. complicated and you take that out of it. So exactly. Yeah. So, so people have been, have been super excited about the model and it's been really fun to meet all of these, uh, you know, nomads who are either want to, you know, buy rental properties or, you know, refer people to buy rental properties. So that's been a fun, uh, a fun way to meet and uh, hang out with people. A lot of, a lot of real estate investors in this crowd for sure. Yeah. Um, awesome. So let's talk a little bit about then from the, from the bakery, then how did you transition into your next business? Uh, what was the thought process and sort of the transition there and what was your next business exactly? Yeah. So you'll see a common theme with me is kind of just taking next steps as you learn them. So as I said, Pepsi wasn't right for me. This was, you know, the dessert business was the next best thing at the time that made sense. And then I got into the dessert business and I was like, you know what? I actually don't really like baking very much. I actually really hate baking. And so it's probably not the right business for me. And I became a vegan at the time. So I couldn't even eat the products that I was eating. And so again, it was like making money and it was really fun. I loved connecting with customers and learning how this nostalgic brand of all their experiences, how they loved getting in touch with it again. But I was like, this isn't quite right. This isn't, this isn't the end, but I didn't know what was next. And so I was on Facebook one day scrolling through, I became obsessed with learning everything entrepreneurial I could. I was just binging podcasts of any entrepreneurial tips, reading books, like following people on online, anything I could do. And I came across this Facebook ad and the ad was about how to grow your email list. So I will say for any entrepreneur, whatever business you're running, the email list is the most important thing to grow, to grow your business. And so I clicked on this ad. I was like, well, yeah, I, I do need to grow my email list. Teach me how. And it turned out the webinar I ended up watching was all about online courses. And this really blew my mind because I learned that you could build a whole business around packaging together information that you knew. So I didn't have to bake products. I didn't have to bake brownies. I didn't have to be anywhere. I could just sell my information. And this like really blew my mind that people were making such a fortune doing this. So in this um, webinar, again, when it's teaching you how to build online courses, it started asking questions of, you know, if you don't have an online business, if you don't have an online course, what do you want to do? And it asks like, you know, what are you good at? What do you like to teach people? What do people ask you for help with? And it was answering all these questions. And long story short, realized I had a really strong love for college campuses and helping college students, helping high school students get to the right colleges. And so I built my business that was called Talk College to Me, still exists, still, still funds my lifestyle. And it was an online course that taught families how to navigate college admissions. And again, it kind of took my love of exploring college campuses and helping people. I just really loved helping students, helping families, and then finding the niche of a target audience that would pay. So I realized that families were paying individual college consultants up to $10,000 to help them 
navigate this, how to write essays and how to, you know, figure out what standardized tests to take and what scores you need in choosing colleges. And so there was really nobody, hardly anyone in the space creating online courses for this. So I just spent so much time studying it, learning everything I needed to know to teach families how to figure this out through an online course, through my information without paying tens of thousands of dollars. That's kind of how that next business came about. I love that. And can you talk about, I want to kind of break down tactically what you did and what you learned and what the process of building that was like, because it is really, 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 really hard to build any business that is going to actually be successful, let alone one that you are able to build and automate that can actually consistently produce enough revenue to finance your lifestyle expenses. I mean, that is an incredible achievement that you have done. And I don't for two seconds want to just gloss (laughs) over it or suggest that, oh yeah, that's something that's, you know, not too difficult to do. That's really hard to do. It was hard. Yeah. (laughs) And so, (laughs) but I want, I want you to, to, if you can, just to open up about that and talk about how hard it was, what you had to do to, to do it. And then let's talk about the specific tactical pieces that you had to put in place to actually succeed with that. Yeah. So, so important that you say that. And I want to start to your point of what the experience was actually like, because when I went into this, I don't regret anything. I have a lot of blissful ignorance when I start new companies often because you see people online and on Instagram and on Facebook and in these advertisements just saying, you know, it's been one month and I made a million dollars in my first webinar and and a hundred thousand dollars per month doing this. And it's like, great, you know, again, sign me up. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to do that. And what they don't tell you is, you know, the months and months or years of things that they've tried and failed and tried and failed or spent time learning in order to, yeah, I don't think they're lying. Maybe they do, you know, the first webinar they launched for some business was $60,000, sure, but they don't tell you about the 30 times that they tried and failed and tried and failed and all the things they did. So I like to be really transparent about my own experience doing it because, again, these were truly, again, nothing I regret, but the hardest years of my life for sure. And so worth it in the end. But I spent, while I was running this dessert business, I decided I wanted to open this college business. And so I overlapped them. You know, I was bringing in money, selling brownies and didn't want to let that go until I was running a side hustle from my business. And I probably spent a year and a half from the time I learned about an online course to the time that I was launching it and actually bringing in revenue on a consistent basis. And during this time, I was back in Atlanta. I was traveling here and there, you know, for a week or two. And my end goal was to, you know, be the digital nomad, set this, you know, passive income up to explore the world while I was running this. But in the meantime, it took a solid 18 months of, I was probably working 16 hour days taking care of the one business and just learning, like binge listening to truly every podcast episode that could teach me about it. I bought probably four or five online courses about how to build online courses, how to run a webinar, how to build an email list. And I was signing up for like the things that were targeted to me. I was signing up for every single webinar that I saw an ad for online just to understand. Like I would watch their webinars, study the process. I would study the emails that they were sending to me when I signed up. What were they? What was the welcome email? What were the emails they sent week after week to then guide me and to learn to trust them and then to encourage me to, to watch a webinar, to build a sale. And as I was actually building out my online course, 
everything that I did in that 18 months, I could probably do in one month now, right? Having done it, but I had never recorded anything. So I was like, where do I host this? Let me research all the different options. What kind of microphone do I need to record this? Let me research the options, right? How do I record my screen? What kind of PowerPoints do I need to build? Do I need to have my face in the videos? Like, how do I link these webinars to my email funnel from the Facebook ads? It's a very complicated process. So I want to say that it is absolutely possible. I think it's an incredible business model, but there's a big learning curve to start. And I just want to say to anyone listening who might be interested, I don't say that to stop you, but to say, you know, like go in with eyes wide open that it takes time and hustle and truly like my family members and friends were like, Marissa, you haven't left your apartment in like three weeks. Like we're worried about you. You should go hang out with people. You need to see your friends, your social person. But I was just like, I have this goal. I want to leave in September to go travel the world and I want to get this done. And so for me, it was like, I don't care what else is going on. I'm going to study and learn and figure it out. Right. But it was hard. It was really hard. Yeah. And I love that. And you, 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 the, the, you share that because I think it's super, super important. Yeah. I mean, building, Maverick Investor Group was amazing, and but it was also grueling and yeah. arduous and uh, an incredible slog and very difficult at times and, you know, all that and the amount of hours that you have to put in learning yes. and then executing and then learning yeah. and then executing is just enormous. I mean, right. people that have successful businesses, it is not something that's easy and simple. And so I think it's really, really important that you're you're able to share what that was like at the time, but also that you had the motivation and you had the incentive and you were creating incentives yeah. for yourself. You wanted to travel the world and be a yeah. full-time digital nomad and you needed to create this stream of income right. that was going to allow you to do it and finance your life lifestyle, finance, your world travel. And you did that and you achieved that. And you're now traveling the world uh, full time <laughs> and, 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 and having epic adventures <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. And you, and you hustled and you grinded and you got yeah. it done. So let's talk a little bit about the specific tactical and granular on some of this stuff in terms of all of that studying that you did when you were binging on listening <laughs> to podcasts and reading yeah. books and studying courses and 16 hours a day and studying everything you could learn about all the different pieces that you needed to put into place. If you can sort of distill down now best practices that you've learned from all of that research in some of the key areas right? So the actual, let's say, maybe we start with product development in terms of how to actually build an online course that okay. people want to watch and pay for. Yeah. And then how to market it and find your customers. Right. And then how to sell it. Yep. And create a funnel <laughs> so and a funnel <laughs> and a nurturing sequence yeah. and actually create a webinar that converts and sells and closes yes. people and convinces them to give you money. Yes. Can you sort of maybe one at a time, yep. you know, we can take those pieces and <laughs> provide as much of the tactical advice about the best practices that you've come to find actually work after yeah. trying so many different things. Yes. I love that you've broken it into it because as I was exploring, it just seemed like, yeah, build an online course and you've got it figured out. Right. But there's all these different parts that create the passive income. So as I was learning and studying, it was like, okay, I'm going to build my online course. That's it. And I was like, all right, now I got this course. How do I sell it? How do I bring people in? How do I nurture them? How do I sell? And each step I took, I was like, you know, I think I'm done. It's like, you get to like the top of a peak when you're hiking and then you're like, you think you're at the top and then you get there and you're like, oh God, there's like five more peaks. Right. So that's kind of how it felt. So 
keep me in line with what you want to know. So we'll start, I think you said with like, what do you actually put in an online course? So let's start there. A lot of people are like, okay, I've got this thing I want to teach or this information I want to share, but what do I actually put inside of these modules? So a really tactical exercise that I love is as you think about it, most likely you are creating a course that's going to help a past version of yourself. So usually the information that you're sharing or whatever you're teaching, whether you are teaching things as a life coach, whether you're teaching how to fly a drone, whether you're teaching how to paint watercolors, whatever it might be, you were once in a position where you didn't know how to do that. So as you're thinking about the modules, what you want to write down is think about yourself where you were when you didn't know how to do these things and write out bullet points that talks about the pain points, what you were struggling with, what you found hard. Just list out everything you can think of. And then underneath each of those bullet points, you do three or you know, however many sub bullet points that talks about what you had to learn or what you had to overcome in order to get past that hurdle. And that's what you want to teach people. That's each of the modules you know, the big bullet points are each of the modules. And then each of the videos within those are how to overcome those things that you had to do. And it's easy, right? That's, that's your courses. And so when you finished, you know, your entire course and Mm -hmm. you've created it and you've recorded the video modules. I think you're done. You're not. (laughs) (laughs) Now you've got to sell it. Right. And so what was your approach to marketing and sales for the course? And if you can just break it down kind of piece by piece and what the best practices were to actually market, sell, convert and (laughs) market, sell, convert, just all the, all the easy things, right? All the easy things that you spent a year and a half figuring out how to do. (laughs) Uh, Can you summarize for us? I can. uh, I can. What works? What'd you find out? Absolutely. So What works in terms of sales, and this is something I learned in Pepsi, and I'm going to try to give you a bunch of tactical lessons. People buy from someone that they know, like, and trust. And I think that's something I learned at Pepsi. That's something that's important for any business. So one way to do that is through your email. So email is king. No matter what anyone says, if you are building an audience on Instagram, on Facebook, on YouTube, through a podcast, whatever it is, you do not own those audiences. And this is so important. The algorithm can change. Something can shut down. It goes off. You want to have a whole email list. Like that is the number one way of anybody who's coming into your world, bring them into an email list. And then you want to nurture them. So you want to basically use your email list to send, and this can all be automated, which I had no idea before, which is fantastic. Someone signs up for a freebie, right? Five ways to do this, three simple steps to do that. Bring them into your world, offer them value, show that you can help them, and then show who you are as a human. I think this is something that a lot of people forget that I think is the most important that people want to buy from someone they like, right? So for me, as I set up my college business, I saw that there was this whole trend of people who were just very scholarly and uptight and it was not a fun way to learn. So I came into the spaces like, hi, I'm Marissa. I'm a human. I can help you learn this in a fun and easy way. Here's who I am. Here's who I'm traveling to. And here are some tips that can actually help you. So to create a nurture sequence, a welcome sequence that gets people to figure out who you are and what you can offer them and how you can help them. And then you're kind of offering them what they need to know, but not how. These are the things you need to know about college. Did you know you need to write these essays? Did you know you need to 
sign up for these test dates. But to, in order to really dig into it, they're going to need to sign up for my course, learn step by step how to write these essays, step by step how to know which test to take, when to take them, all of that. So that's kind of the next piece of it. Can you talk a little bit about how you identified the target market mm, yeah. for your product and how you got your message in front of that target market? Yes. Great question. I think this uh, one part is easy. One part is really hard. So in terms of figuring out who it was, I spent so much time in Facebook groups. So this is something I would highly recommend as a tip for anyone thinking about starting a business or if you already run a business. There are Facebook groups filled with thousands and thousands of people who will talk about and share about their experiences about anything. So I am not a parent. I do not have a kid going through this process. So I would go into Facebook groups of these parents asking about college admissions or parents just asking about questions in general of what they're struggling with. And I would go in and just say, Hey, you know, what's your biggest concern about the college admissions process? Like as, as a fellow parent, I would pretend like I was a parent just, you know, to relate to these people. And it's like, you'd get 85 comments of people are like, this is my exact fear. This is exactly what I'm struggling with. This is exactly what I want help with. And it's like, okay, thank you. I would take the, literally the language that they use and then you serve it back to them. And they're like, Marissa understands what I'm going through, right? So that's one example for my college, but you can do that with any business you are going through. Find those people. It's like free focus groups. Like at Pepsi, we would pay people hundreds, you know, we'd spend thousands of dollars to find the right people. And they're just for free in Facebook groups. So take advantage of that. In terms of how to then get them into your own business, this is a little harder. So there's several different ways when you think about the top of the sales funnel. And I think you have to find the way that resonates best with your personality. So you can do this through Facebook ads. You can do this through podcast episodes. You can do this through posting on Instagram. My personal favorite way that I've learned is through partnerships. So I find people who have similar audiences who sell different products. So with my college business, for example, I don't teach, I don't actually tutor people how to take, you know, in the US, they're called SATs or ACTs, these standardized tests you have to take to get into college. And so, for example, I would reach out to someone who does help tutoring for standardized tests and we'd trade email lists by offering value to the other one. So basically building your own email list by finding people who work in, who have the audiences you want to go after, but sell a different product. That's awesome. I love the tip about the free focus groups. Free focus groups. They're out there and they will tell you anything. That's amazing. Willingly. That's really, but that's really a smart sort of guerrilla marketing, if you yeah. will, tactic for how I to really guess, use that. how to get exactly the information you want from your target market. And use their language really precisely, like spit it right back at them. That's amazing. That's really, really smart. So, and I also like the concept of leveraging other people's audiences, other people that yeah. have already built yes. an audience and a client base of the people that you want to sell to. Yes. And then creating a relationship with them. And it could be an affiliate type relationship mm -hmm. or it could be just be an exchange that right. you'll introduce their stuff to your crowd and they'll introduce your stuff to their crowd. And yeah. it's just a, a business relationship exchange or any number of other things. But that's a great way to get in front of a large number of people that are interested in what you have to sell. And you're doing it through a warm introduction. Exactly. That's so important. You know, when someone introduces you, they have an audience who, who knows, likes and trusts them. And so when they say, hey, my friend Marissa has this product or this tip, you should follow her. Then they're coming in. You know, when you do Facebook ads, it's a cold lead. So it takes away longer weeks or months to nurture them for them to get to know you. Whereas when someone comes in through a trusted partnership, they already come in feeling trust. You know, they, they trust you already. And so they're willing to buy more quickly. 
Absolutely. So let's now talk about the sales conversion mm, process. Yes. So you've built a fantastic product that really adds a legitimate value. Yeah, that's you've, number one. You got to have a product that really adds value. We haven't talked about that, but so important. Well, uh, you talked about how you built your product and put a lot of effort into it and all of that. And so assuming that you build a product that really adds a legitimate value that yeah. can really, really help people and deliver the value that you say it does, then you need to find who you're going to sell to and the language to use to sell to them, which is where the free focus groups comes in. Yep. Then you need to find how to get your message in front of those <laughs> audiences, which is where the business partnerships come in, yep. right? So now we're there. Right. You get your message in front of them and then you give them a free sort of gateway offer to come in and and learn about you and basically ostensibly meet you through a free piece of your content where you're going to be friendly and personable and cool and be yourself and also deliver substantive value and position yourself as an authority. Mm -hmm. So they know I can trust you now in addition to the person that referred them. Mm -hmm. Once that <laughs> happens, okay, once that happens, yeah. now can you talk about the actual sales process? How do you nurture the lead? How do you move them through the sales funnel? And what are the most effective strategies for actually converting those leads into a paid sale? Yeah. So I love this. And I think there's a lot of pieces to this that, you know, I don't want to simplify of just say, you know, go out, build an online course. It's like, you've done this, then you've done this, and you've done this. And there's a lot of different steps. Again, once it's all set up, it truly is an, an easy flowing passive income, but it takes a big learning curve. So after I got to this point, the way I typically do it is through webinars or different Facebook live videos, things like that. And I studied this process. Russell Brunson, I think, does an incredible job teaching about webinars and step by step instructions, but there truly is a craft and art and a science to the sale. So I set up webinars. I took an online course about how to structure, how the flow goes. And it's hard to convey just on this, but I, the lesson I want you to take away is um, really study this process. There is an art to say, here's valuable information. So anyone who comes to you, you want to start by really actually offering them value. And you want to give them so much value that it makes you uncomfortable that you're like, I should be charging this. I'm giving away a lot of secrets, but it's just the top line. So again, you're giving away that what leading them to say, okay, I know what I need to know, but now I need to buy, you know, Mercer's course or whatever it is to learn step-by-step how to do it. And there's a huge, a whole process to get into the sale. So you offer value, you offer value, you offer value. And then you say, Hey, you know, you've, you've come all this way. You're interested I want to take you the next step. If you want to learn more with me, if you like what you've seen so far, if you trust me, I have more to give, right? And that's where the sale comes in. And you really have to be comfortable with your price point. You have to learn how to offer the sale in an easy way that makes them feel good and makes them feel like you're offering them so much value that it's impossible to say no. So can you distill down some of the techniques or the best practices you've found for structuring webinars in a way that optimizes conversion? Yes. So before I go into it, I just want to say buy the book Expert Secrets by Russell Brunson because he will do far better justice, which from what I can explain just in this this brief time as part of our podcast episode. But if you are truly interested in building a converting webinar, buy the book and thank me later. But in theory, you want to spend the most amount of time in the middle of your webinar 
saying, here's basically think about the hurdles that they would need to overcome and share some really actionable value tips of some things that they need to know and why they would want to buy your course. So that's the start. If, if I were to take your business, for example, and you were saying, come, come buy real estate with me. The first thing I would want to overcome is like, what about the markets doing crazy things? There's these external factors that I can't control. So like, let me talk about that in my webinar. There's the internal factors that say, who am I to buy real estate? I don't know anything. I travel I'm across the world. I don't know how to invest, whatever it is. Like, let me help you tell you why I can do that. Just actually giving them value, whether they buy from you or not. And then at the end, you want to basically have said, again, I've said this several times, but here's the what, here's the things that you need to know. And if you want to take it a step further with me, I'm going to teach you how to actually do it all. So that's kind of the flow of it in general, but there's some really special, you know, I, I've read as I talked, like when I go into something, I binge how to, how to do it, what to go in. And so there's some other sales tactics to get people to say yes to you along the way, as simple as asking, as you're saying, Hey, there's these external factors in the real estate industry, but here's why it's not important. Do you understand? Like, yes. Here's these reasons why you can do it. Do you see how powerful this is? Like you're asking questions, you're bringing them along with you. And it's these simple mental factors of getting them to say yes, making these micro commitments along the way that will end up helping them to convert. So that's one piece of it. The second piece, as you get to the end of how to actually convert. So what you want to do is again, truly know you have a product that is killer. That's really going to help them set it at a price point, give scarcity that it only lasts for a certain time while they're live. Because the truth is you really can help people, but if you lose them after the sale, you know, they're going to go back to their families, their jobs, they're traveling, they're making dinner, they're busy. And even if they wanted to buy it, they might forget. So you really want to give them incentive to buy it with you in that moment, whether that's a price discount, whether that's a special bonus, a special call with you, a special resource, whatever it is that only lasts for an hour within that time that you are interacting with them. And then again, just to stack on the value. So it should be a no brainer. Like if you're selling a course, I offer, you know, bonus after bonus or other resources of things that anchoring the price point, right? So for my college business take, for example, you're going to spend $10,000 doing this one-on-one work where you can get it for hundreds of dollars with me in this moment. You're going to also same information. It's going to change your world. Here's what you're going to I want to take just one minute out to let you know that in addition to hosting The Maverick Show, I am also the co-founder of Maverick Investor Group, a real estate brokerage that helps you buy turnkey rental properties in the best U.S. real estate markets from anywhere. So these are single family homes sometimes two to four unit properties, and they're either brand new or fully renovated, and they already have tenants and local property management in place. So you get all the benefits of owning the deeded real estate, that physical house, the hard asset, without the headaches of being the landlord or the rehabber or needing to live near the property. So I want to offer you a free consultation. If that sounds interesting to you, to learn more about it, you can just go to themaverickshow.com slash consult. And now back to the episode. Get from it. And here's why you need to buy now. So again, that's kind of the overview, but Go by expert secrets if you're interested. Awesome. Those are really good tips and recommendations. Okay. So after you built and 
basically automated this business to mm-hmm. continue to generate revenue for you because you had lead flow. They were coming into your funnel. You mm-hmm. had already recorded the webinar. You knew it was optimized and functioning. Right. You were converting leads. There were sales and you had made this into a passive business that was generating you enough money to finance your lifestyle, your world travel, all this kind of stuff. At that point, can you talk about <laughs> your next move in terms of your next business venture and where you went from there and why? Yeah, great question. So as I got this set up, um, finally got it to the term, you know, when I'm working, I'm working on finding new partnerships and finding, you know, new sources of lead generation. That's where I spend the most of my time now because the rest after a year and a half is automated. So after that happened, again, I had this goal where I was going to finally pack up, rent out my place at home, travel the world. And it kind of led me to my next clue of what I was passionate about. So I love helping families with college admissions. But as I started traveling the world, I came in contact with so many new, incredible people and built these relationships where I had been through so many transitions and just the way I interact with people in general, people would come and share these stories with me of their lives and be like, I've never told anyone, Marissa, like, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but I just feel the need to share. And they were asking for help. And I was helping them with, you know, relationships and breakups and building businesses and building online courses and figuring out what careers they were interested in. And truly, I can't tell you like Thailand, Vietnam, Myanmar, Cambodia, Philippines, like everywhere I went, people kept asking me if I was a life coach. And so I was like, there's some something to this. Like, and I loved helping people. I think that's just where I truly, truly find my joy is helping people live lives that are, you know, they're, they're finding jobs that they actually care about. You know, there's this whole, like, what's your purpose thing. And I think that's a really scary question, but people are really miserable in their jobs. And I just found that I loved helping people. So that was kind of my next clue of, I need to become a coach. I need to help people. This is what I truly feel is my calling. And so that's kind of what I've shifted into now. So can you talk a little bit about that business and your clients? And I want to get into some of the value that you deliver in that business and some of the things that you've learned and that you've actually helped your clients with. So, I mean, maybe let's just start off with who are your clients? What types of people are you working with and what are you helping them with? Absolutely. So like I said, with any business, you're typically helping a past version of yourself. So for me, what I really, really love helping people with are people who are unhappy or not as happy as they could be within their current job or lifestyle, whether that is, again, the job that they're doing nine to five or maybe a side hustle that they've started that's not quite right, but they don't know what is. Maybe they're in a relationship that they're unsure of or you know they want to become a nomad and travel the world and they're too scared to do it. My goal, my love, what I love to help people with is figuring out how do you take those next steps to live the life that you love. And so those are the type of people who I most like to help. Awesome. And can you talk a little bit about in working with those people and getting to know them, what do you find really holds people back from achieving the life that they really are passionate about and that they really love? What are those primary obstacles that you've found? Yeah. So when it comes down to it, and I've done a lot of one-on-one coaching at this point, I've done some group work, I've, I've talked to tons of people. And what it comes down to at the very basic level is fear, right? Our minds, everything we're taught, our society, our family, our friends, 
want to keep you safe. They want to keep you in this little bubble where, you know, you go to your nine to five job and someone pays you and you make money and you're just living to work and maybe traveling two weeks a year or something like that. And what I found that's holding everyone back is fear of taking a leap, right? You might not want to travel the world, but you might want to, you know, maybe you've, you've invested all this time becoming a lawyer, but you don't like it. And you're too scared to try something new to take a leap and, you know, do what you actually love. It's this fear of doing what's not prestigious or what you don't know how to do or what you've never done before. And that's what I love to help people overcome and find safe next steps to actionably take to one, figure out, maybe you don't know what you actually want to do. How do you figure that out? What questions do you ask to figure, you know, to take those next steps? And then two, once you figured that out, or maybe you already have, what are the steps that you can take and what mental barriers do you need to overcome in order to live that life that's going to make you so much happier? And what can people do to start proactively trying to overcome those obstacles? Absolutely. So there's two different parts, right? If you are a person who you're unhappy with where you are, but you just don't know what's next, right? I've been there many times. And for that, it's about asking the right questions. So this is something that I think we vastly overlook as a society of just assuming like we know what we want to do and what to do next, but we honestly have no idea. And so a lot of times I wish that I had had someone to ask me these questions when I was in high school and college and each step along the way to start to really understand who are you? What do you like to do? What do people tell you you're good at? What do people ask you for help with? What do you enjoy doing? What is there a market for? Again, all of these questions that I work with clients to walk through that surprisingly, it's like nobody's ever asked them before. They've never thought about it. And you know all these answers inside of you. But again, a lot of people don't take the time to walk step by step to think about it and think how they might all connect to so clearly say, this is what I'm meant to be doing. And it might not be forever. Like I've done this along the way and it's what's the next step. And then from there, you might learn something new and you kind of take this little course of you, you keep listening to these clues to get to where you want to go. But the first step is having someone, whether it's me, whether it's someone else to ask you these questions and start to figure that out. So from there, the other part is the fear that holds you back. So let's say you get through those questions or you already, you know, many of you listening might say, you know, I already know what I want to do. I kind of have this intuition. I want to start this business or I want to go into this industry, but you're in the safe little bubble that you don't want to leave. And it's really hard. And I don't, I don't say that lightly, but your life will be so much better when you take that leap. So from there, I work really heavily with people to overcome those fears, overcome the limiting beliefs. And for every person, it's different. So, you know, one tactic exercise I can give you just to do in your own time are what I call limiting beliefs that are stopping you. It's the fear that's holding you back from doing what you need to do. And so over the course of, let's just call it three days, I want you to over the next three days, and maybe we'll, we'll give you a worksheet that you can download at the end of this to write down as you're thinking about what you want to do. Anytime as you're thinking about it or over the course of the next three days, write down whatever is coming into your brain, that voice that is not yours, that you think is yours, that is stopping you, that's holding you back, that says, but I can't afford this, but I've never done it, but there's other people doing it. There's other people doing it better. Who am I to teach this? Who am I to start a business? Who am I to travel the world, you know, and and leave the corporate world behind? Whatever it is that comes to your mind, I want you to write it down. And then as you do it, I want you to write three bullet points underneath each of those that says, 
why that's not true, right? Your mind is there to protect you. It's there to keep you safe. The things your family, your friends, society are telling you to keep you safe. So write down again, if I were to say, you know, with a college admissions business, I wasn't a college admissions officer. So, you know, I might've had this fear of who am I to teach college admissions? And then I would go and write down, okay, but I can learn everything I need to know, but I've been through the process. And actually I can teach this in a better way because I do know less and I can relate to these people more. And once I learn it, I can explain it a whole lot better than people who forgot what it was like. Right. So as each thing comes, you know, whether it's that or whether it's, you know, I can't make money while traveling the world. Go find four people on Instagram who are doing that and write it down and follow their story. Write down any reasons you can think of why that fear that's holding you back isn't necessarily true. And I think you'll find that the fears that are in your head are somewhat real. They're valid, right? They're there for a reason, but they're, they shouldn't hold you back. And once you realize the reasons that they don't need to, it all becomes more doable. Yeah. And I feel like that exercise and that piece of advice is really applicable to people at any stage in their journey. Absolutely. Because it's like, even if you already are a business owner, you've already left the corporate world, you are an entrepreneur, or you already are a digital nomad, you're traveling the world full time and you're living that particular dream. Well, there's tons of other stuff that you may be afraid of. You may have limiting beliefs about, or I could never write a book or be a keynote speaker or be a TEDx speaker or do this or do that or whatever the next level is for you, then that is also applicable to this exercise. I love that. That's so important. You know, we're talking about right now, kind of the beginning stages, but these mindset shifts, again, I love to work with, with anybody because whatever level you're at, they say, if you're, if you're not growing, you're dying, right? So whether you said, whether you want to take it to the next level of making more money in your business or starting a new part of your business or writing that book or becoming the speaker or becoming a thought leader, whatever it is, you have limiting beliefs. And even Oprah, even the most successful people, it's like, you know, you don't stop experiencing these things. Your brain is there to keep you safe, to put these fears in your head. And you're there to, to know in your gut and your heart what you want to be doing. So again, no matter where you are, this exercise is so fabulous because we have all these negative thoughts in our heads of why we can't do things. And this exercise really gets you to look simplistically of like, okay, wait, I can do this. There's no reason I can't. Right. Exactly. I think, I think the mindset stuff is super important. And one of the things you said earlier, when you were in, you were creating incentives for yourself to be (laughs) successful in this business. And once this business is successful, it's producing passive income. We're going to use that to travel the world, to do this epic stuff, to all this sort of thing. Can you talk a little bit about creating vision for Mm. what you want to achieve with this thing you're working on or this transition you're trying to make? or this next level you're trying to get to, how do you create that incentive and that vision in an effective way? And what are the, what is sort of the mindset work there? Yeah. The vision is so important. And like we, there's, there's so many parts of this. So the mindset, I think when I became an entrepreneur, mindset is 90% of it, right? The execution, the ideas, the tactics, you can learn that, but to have the mind to feel confident, to overcome the fears, to overcome the limiting beliefs and do these things, it's all the work. And if you listen to any podcast, any entrepreneur, any book, you'll see that that's absolutely the case. So that kind of blew my mind when I started. So in terms of the vision, it's so important to know what you want to achieve, because if you're just kind of doing things blindly, you're going to end up nowhere. So do you want to write that book? Do you want to become a speaker? Do you want to travel the world? 
And I say, start with the end in mind, right? So for me, becoming a digital nomad, traveling the world where I was working, that was everything for me. And everything I did in my business, you know, back to when I was baking brownies, I didn't want to open a store because I wanted to be traveling the world. When I started my college business, I didn't want to do one-on-one coaching, even though that would have been easier because at the time I didn't want to have time zone restrictions. I didn't want to be tied down. And so that's why I built my online course. So it's okay to do that. Again, start with the lifestyle you want, what you want to do and build backwards. In terms of the vision, I really, really love to create a vision board and I alter mine about every six months. And it's a really fabulous way to kind of write your goals down on paper, but I think text and words only go so far and you're not going to look at it all the time. So I have a a process that I walk that I've got a, a guide I can share with you guys of exactly how to create these, but you kind of write down all of your goals, the things you want to achieve, the things you want to do in this next six to 12 months. And you find visual images that are really stimulating that inspire you. You know, do you want to travel to Machu Picchu? Do you want to buy that new car? Do you want to make new friends? Do you want to go to dinner with your family? Do you want to exercise? You know, whatever it might be that are your goals, you find these visual images that stand for that, that excite you. And for me, I have it as a background on my computer because I'm traveling. If I was home, I would tape it up in my closet or in my bathroom mirror or wherever works for you. And your mind is so powerful. So your mind doesn't know what's real and what's not, which is kind of wild. So if you are looking at these pictures, at these visions day in and day out of, you know, someone standing on a stage, if you want to be a speaker or someone, you know, these incredible destinations that you want to get to, it's just these, it's almost like subliminal messaging day after day of these are the things I want. These are the things I want. And you are more likely to take action to get there because of it. I agree with that 100%. I think it's really important to bombard yourself. <laughs> bombard. <laughs> with bombard yeah. yourself with sensory stimulation that yeah. is going to motivate and inspire you to do things. And that is certainly includes visual stimulation of the vision board concept. Also includes audio stimulation yeah. of the, who are the most inspiring yeah. you know, podcasters or what are the most inspiring books or that kind of stuff, videos, yeah. you know, and just figuring out, you know, this entire content, you know, yeah. ecosystem that you can just pump into yeah. your brain, into your eyes, into your ears, <laughs> into your head, and just like push it into yourself every day. Yeah. And it's especially like a hundred times even more important if you're not currently surrounded I by people that. Yeah. that are doing exactly what you aspire to do. And if you're surrounded by people that are, are not doing what you're trying to do, and they might even be, say, holding you back. <laughs> let's just say they might let's be. Let's just say, I don't know, some people I've heard have, you know, family and friends and social circles some that people, maybe they might. are not doing insanely epic stuff that they want to do and might be telling you that you can't or yeah. you shouldn't or it's not responsible, yeah. or it's not realistic or you can't do it. Yeah. Under those circumstances, it's a hundred times more important. Yeah. And I want to talk about that because during those, you know, the past three and a half years that I've been, you know, flip my life upside down and changed this, my friends, my circle became people on Instagram, people on Facebook, people on podcasts and books that I was reading. And again, like I love with all of my heart, my friends, my family, everyone at home, they're living a different lifestyle 
then I live, then I want to live. I wanted to be traveling the world and no one that I knew was doing that while working. And so for me, I started following all of these people on Instagram who were traveling the world, running businesses. I joined Facebook groups of communities who were learning like I was. And they became, I feel like everyone says this by this point, it's like, you're the people you, you have five people you spend the most time with. And I was spending the most time with my people on Facebook and Instagram as I locked myself up in my apartment and built these businesses because no one wants, you know, they're not purposely holding you back. They want the best for you. They want you to be safe. They want you to be happy. Your friends and family love you. But if you're trying to do something different, you've got to, you know, before I started traveling the world, now I'm here with you surrounded by people who, who are doing it and my life changes. And I am so inspired when I'm in this group. But if I'm ever back home, I turn to social media and podcasts and books to remember that it's possible. You have to do it. I mean, it's, 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 it's vitally, crucially imperative, I think, to surround yourself with people that are doing what you yeah. want to do and people that are at your level or yeah. beyond and above your level and just surround yourself with yep. them and get the inspiration and motivation. And if you can't physically do that because they're not in your physical location right now, yep. you it is it is incumbent upon you to just pump yeah. that information and <laughs> that stimulation in. <laughs> into your dome yeah. on a daily <laughs> basis. I mean, it's the only way to do it. It truly is. I mean, it's it's just so important. I, I can't say that enough to inspire yourself through any way possible that you can. Let's talk a little bit about the, you know, those transitionary moments when you are kind of transcending and making those major transitions and making those major leaps and overcoming those fear barriers. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the sort of concept of identity adjustments and, <laughs> you know, you're, you're very invested and you've developed a level of expertise in a particular area. And then if you're like, mm, you know what, I'm really not, it's really not uh, quite as fulfilling this. for me. <laughs> I want to go in this other direction, but now all of a sudden you're starting from ground zero and you have this massive learning curve and you're not the top person in the space. In fact, you're very far from being an expert, but can you talk about that sort of identity, the transition to the role of, of yeah. your identity? Yeah. I want to talk about it from my own experience first, then we'll give you some examples. And I know you have some as well. So for me, I had, again, we spent, I spent these six years at Pepsi and all my friends, all my family is like the cool job. And I was working at this huge corporation and getting paid well and working with celebrities and walking red carpets. And then I quit my job and I started baking brownies. And there was about a year time when anybody asked me what I was doing. I like wanted to take a knife and stab myself in the gut. And I was like, I, you know, I used to be doing that. I would always say I used to be doing this. I, I used to work for Pepsi. I used to do this. I used to do marketing. I used to live in New York. I used to live in LA. I used to do all of these things. And I would think to myself like, oh my God, I quit my job to bake brownies. Like, who am I? What, you know, what am I doing? My, my identity was a marketer for Pepsi. And I work with clients now who, you know, have spent money and time going to law school and there's, you know, they have an identity as a lawyer, as an important person, and they hate it. It's not what they like, but there's the sunk cost of the time and the money and the prestige of, I am a lawyer where people know it, people get it. When people ask me what I do now, I'm like, uh, like it's, it's hard to explain, right? No one gets it. And there's something to be said about doing something that people understand that's easy, that's prestigious. I work with so many college students, for example, whose families are, they have all are, they're doctors or they're engineers and they get to college and they're like, I don't, you know, that's the identity of my family, but it's not what I want to do, but it's what I need to do. And so there's all of these barriers to overcome. And I want to explain that they're really important. I think a lot of people overlook 
that identity, that um, prestige, that ease of of doing something important versus trying something different that's going to make you happier. And that's where the mindset work comes in. That's where I love to help people because it's not easy. Your friends, your family are going to judge you until you're successfully doing things. And it's it's a lot to overcome and it's real. It's very real. Yeah, it's super real. And I feel like it also, I mean, this is the same phenomena that happens with a lot of retirees. Yeah. Right? Like at the late stage of someone's career, they've been working at oftentimes the same career their entire life. Yeah. You're up to who they very are. Very high core. level. You know, my, it's, it's really funny because my parents are now retired in Asheville, North Carolina. Right. And my parents are like literally my two favorite humans on the planet the of Earth. They're amazing. And I know you have an amazing <laughs> relationship with your parents yeah. too, um, and uh, which is awesome. But my parents have retired in, in Asheville, North Carolina. And, you know, my dad left his job and he was a CEO before he left his job. And of course, there's a lot of, you know, prestige and, and, and all this kind of stuff that goes along with, you know, being a CEO. And there's a tons of other people that have retired that are living near them. They were also CEOs or they were kind of high profile people in their spaces. Yeah. And now they're not. Yeah. And now they're retired. And what's amazing is that it different people handle that in different ways. So my parents, fortunately, like I'm really, really happy and pleased that my parents are crushing retirement. In my <laughs> so? They're crushing it. Like they're, they are just living life to the fullest and pursuing their passions and continuing to learn and experience new things. So, you know, they're traveling to places they've never been. They're about to go to the Galapagos Islands and Machu Picchu. They just booked a trip to Egypt. They've never been to the continent of Africa. So they're, they're doing new things. They're experiencing new things. They're taking classes at the university right there in Asheville. So they're taking That's classes awesome. at the University of North Carolina, Asheville, learning things. You know, they're, they've got season tickets to the men's and women's basketball <laughs> games. They are at every single Ballin. game early. They stay till the end. They mentor the athletes and the students and they're contributing to the community. And, you know, they're, they're, you know, my dad's golfing, you know, I don't know, five times a week. <laughs> you know? I mean, they're doing, they're doing the stuff that they love. They're contributing, they're, they're socializing, they're, you know, they're, they're really living life to the fullest and they're taking advantage yeah. of the fact that they don't need to spend time in an office yep. to do insanely fulfilling things, yeah. which are the real things, yep. right? Having meaningful friends and doing things that you love and enjoy mentoring and helping others, yeah. you know, traveling and having, you know, exhilarating, you know, new cultural experiences, all the stuff that's important in life, yeah. they're doing it and they're crushing it. And, yeah. and they're, they're actually thankful that they don't have to spend eight to 12 hours in an office every day, right? Like yeah. they're, they're like, okay, like, how can I leverage this? But right. a lot of their neighbors, right? Not, you know, <laughs> it's like this whole identity shift, it's right? It's huge. And so there's this joke, right? In the, in the area my parents are where there's a lot of people that they call PIPs, previously important people. <laughs> I love that so much because that's everything that holds us back, right? A previously important person. I couldn't have said it better myself. And people get stuck in that. I was, you know, if I leave, if I try something new, if I do something, I'm not going to be important anymore. I was previously important in this role, in this career, in this and that. And we let it define us. So, you know, when I work with clients, what I love to coach is to realize, you know, so many people think about when I meet this person, when I get married, when I get this promotion, when I have kids, when I 
get into this next business that I want to do. And it's when I do this, if I do this, when I do this, that's how we judge ourselves. And what I help people with is you are, you are a person right now. This is your life right in this moment, no matter what you're doing, it doesn't matter. And so it's all about who you are and what your mission is and what you're experiencing. And I think something that I truly love about the digital nomad community and about travelers compared to my old life. When I met people in New York and LA, it's like, Hey, who are you? What do you do? Right. That's what people ask. What do you do? And I'll meet people traveling. I was on a trip. Where was I in Indonesia last fall? And I went on this weekend trip to these islands and I was with these people for three days. And in the car ride back on the way, someone said they had a business thing to do. And I was like, what do you even do? I don't know. And someone else in the car said, that's what I love. You don't even need to know what she does. And it's purposeful. I think that travelers were more about experiences. Who are you? Who are you as a person? What do you enjoy? Where do you like to travel? What do you like to do as in in your free time? Who do you like to help? What are you interested in? What excites you? And it doesn't matter how you, you know, maybe that involves how you make your money and maybe it doesn't. But I just want it to feel like, again, the, the previously important person, like there's next steps to take where, who are you as a person? How do you want to live your life? That is more important than what you do. Yeah, 100%. And I feel like there's a lot of people that really put a lot of investment in this sunk cost fallacy. Absolutely. Oh, man, all my academic work was in (laughs) this and all my work experiences in this. And now I'm at this point in my life where I'm really, really, really good at this thing. Yes. And if I were to totally transition, go in a totally new direction, I'd be starting from ground zero. I wouldn't be good. I would not be above average. I'd have to learn everything from all over and I'd have to reconstruct my whole identity and everything else. And so therefore, maybe I should just stay where I am. Yeah. And that's what 90% of people do. And people are so unhappy because you have this calling to do more. And it might be, again, this is where I love to help and coach people, but it might be that you take what you've learned and whether you do something totally new or you use those skills in a new way that only you can uniquely can uniquely do with your passions and your past experiences. And that's where it becomes so strong of how can you leverage your personality and your experience and your past career to do something new that no one else can do. Well, and that was really important for me in my transition. Yeah. Right? Because as you know, my entire background, academic background, graduate work, <laughs> and <laughs> all my work experience was in nonprofit advocacy yeah. stuff. Right. And like my nonprofit advocacy stuff was like from the heart. Yeah. I cared about it. I knew every single day I was making a positive impact and yeah. creating positive change in the world and like helping to like, you know, support group, you know, people people that were that were in struggle or that were marginalized that were oppressed and I was really doing important work. That was your identity, right? Yeah. And then I was like, oh, if I go the business route, <laughs> am I am I anymore. am I selling out? Yeah. Am I not helping people? So how did you overcome that? What I did is, well, first of all, I recruited as my business partner <laughs> um, my best friend Valerie, who first of all did her master's degree with me. We both have a degree in international peace and conflict resolution and we've both done human rights activist work uh, internationally together and we both worked in the nonprofit space. And so I, I knew that was going to keep some grounding there. But what we did is we said, we asked the question, how yeah. could we maintain and continue to contribute and you know, have the same sort of moral compass and the same contribution framework, you know, the same worldview if we went the entrepreneurial route? And we asked the question, how could we? 
right? Not can we, yes or no, but that. how could we? That's such an important frame. Yeah. Like, can I? How can I? How can I do this? How can we? You and can. So we, You'll and find so we way. said, yeah. And so we said, okay, we're going to set up a business that number one is going to help all of our customers mm-hmm. by purchasing cash flowing real estate. They're going to be building income generating assets that yeah. is going to produce cash passive cash flow that's going to help fund their lifestyle expenses, allow them to have more time and control over their life, more location independence, and help them build their wealth in a way that gives them the freedom to either spend more time with their family, travel the world, do whatever they want to do. So we're literally improving people's lives by what we're selling, first of all, our customers. Second of all, we're going to institutionalize a component into our company where we're going to donate 10% of all of our net revenue to causes that affect positive change in the world. So when you're working at a nonprofit, you're not making any money yourself, yeah. basically. Yep. You're getting a salary <laughs> that covers your bare bones living expenses. So you're donating your time, yeah. but you're not donating any money because you don't have any money to donate. Yep. So we're like, okay, let's build this business. And number one, we're going to have more control over our own time. Yep. So we can direct our volunteer work as we choose with our time. Plus, we're going to, as the business becomes more successful, we're going to financially incentivize ourselves that as that happens, so too will all of the causes that we care about become, yeah. you know, because you're going to get more money because it's percentage based. Yeah. And so we really thought about that. How could we build a socially responsive business, a socially responsible business that is benefiting our customers and that's benefiting these causes we care about? And so we are motivated to, for the business to do better yeah. because in addition to facilitating our lifestyle of yep. location independence and being able to travel the world and spend more time with our own families each year mm-hmm. and, and, and see the world and all this kind of amazing stuff, we're also helping our customers and we're also contributing to these yeah. causes all at the same time. And so we established our why yep. really, really early on. And that was the core motivator for our business. I love that. And that's something I really struggled with in the beginning as I started my own business to, to, you know, I used to feel bad about wanting to make money and starting these, you know, the businesses, whatever it is. And exactly as you're saying, I too have the same model of donating 10% to a cause I care about and that I'm excited about. And I realized that the more money I can make to become my best self, to travel, to meet new people, to learn new experiences, to learn about cultures the more I'm able to help people and it trickles down. And so again, the more money I make, the more I learn, the more open I become, you know, I can then pay to go to conferences and to learn and to explore and grow and become my own best self. And that was a huge, huge mindset shift that I again, love to help other people with because it's a real thing to grow, become better, make your own money to help other people in a new and different way. And so again, whether it's your time, whether it's your money, I truly believe that by living your own best life, whether that means travel, starting a new job, doing a different type of work, whatever it is, if you're a better person and you're happier, you are going to bring joy to more people. And I like believe that with all of my heart. I agree authentically and sincerely with 100% yeah. of that. That's, that's totally true. So let's talk a little bit about our shared passion for travel. Yeah. Um, And I want to just start by asking you, you've now been to over 45 countries and you're a full-time itinerant nomad, which is amazing (laughs) and inspiring and awesome. Um, And you and I have now been to multiple countries together, in fact, and hung out in in incredible places. But let me ask you just from the very macro level, why do you travel? What does it mean to you? I love that. So when I first started traveling and wanted to start getting to new new countries and go to new places, in my head, it was about 
checking off a new box, checking off a new country, going to bucket list places. When I go to a country, it was like, here are the top things that, you know, top five things that tourists do. And I would get there with friends I knew and I would go explore and see and go back home. And when I became, you know, the reason I became a digital nomad, the reason I wanted to travel was to keep doing it in this way. But I felt like I didn't have enough vacation days to get to countries. I felt like I would never get places. But when I first started, I really thought that's what it was about. I just want to get places and I want to see the things you're meant to see. And about nine months ago, I started traveling in a different way. And I went for you know months on end, left my apartment, left my friends. And everyone said, you know, is it scary to travel alone? Like, what are you going to do? Who are you going to meet? And I was like, no, it's fine. But what I really, really quickly learned was that as I looked back, you know, I spent my first four months abroad in in this more permanent way in Southeast Asia. And I had been wanting to go to these bucket list places in Thailand and go to the islands. And what I very quickly learned was that it didn't matter where I was going or what I was seeing. That was an added benefit. What was so incredible was the people that I met and the type of people who travel who, you know, who are traveling or working or just backpacking or whatnot, or just the people that you meet locally is incredible. It's these people who have a different mindset. And as I look back on my favorite memories, it's just weird travel things that have happened and incredible people that I've met. And it doesn't, it happens to be that I'm in, you know, crazy places or new countries. But now, for an example, I'm in, we're in Lisbon at this moment in Portugal. There's some places that, you know, if I had come years ago, I would say, these are the five places I want to see. There's some towns in the South that I know I would like, but I've met all these awesome people on this cruise the past five days who are all going to be in Porto this weekend. And I don't care where I'm going. I want to be with them because it's about the people that I'm with and experiencing and less about where I am or what I'm doing. And so it's just this total shift and would love to know your thoughts on it as well. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, for me, the community aspect was has been super, super important. It's been really exciting to see the proliferation of companies that have come into the space over the last five years or so. Yeah. Like when I started traveling full time, I gave up my apartment in LA, yep. which is my last last location where I had a <laughs> last base. Last known address. Last known <laughs> address where Where's I had a base. Matt? And I, I gave up the apartment in, in the summer of 2013. And so, you know, six years ago, yeah. I've now been traveling the world with no permanent base yep. as an itinerant nomad. And I've lived in 51 different countries yeah. since 2013. And what's been amazing to see over those six years is that companies have come into the digital nomad space to cater to people yeah. like me yep. who are professionals yep. that work remotely. Yep. And want to travel the world, but want to have a social sustainable, yeah. a socially sustainable life. Yep. They want like that pillar is super important to have so community. So incredibly important. So important. And so, you know, I had traveled for years prior to plugging into any of these organized work right. travel communities. Right. Same. And then as soon as I started to, when they came into the space and I said, (laughs) you know, there's a company called Remote Year, which is the first one that I patronized. Yep. And they said, we're going to bring a community of 30 to 50 people together. Yep. And we're going to commit to traveling the world for a year together as an intentional community and live in a different city (laughs) each month for 12 months with the same group. That's, yeah. we're all committing to be a community together. Yep. I'm like, first of all, where do I sign up for that? (laughs) Sign me up now. Yeah, sign me up now. Second of all, I want to meet any person that's willing to sign up for that. 
Because anybody that's willing to do that, leave their friends and family and everything they know behind and commit to traveling the world for a year yeah. up front with 30 to 50 at the time strangers that yep. you've never met, at minimum is an interesting person. <laughs> you will meet some interesting people. <laughs> at minimum, they're interesting. because The who best does, people. Because who does that? The right? best people. And I want to hear their story. <laughs> Every single one of them, I want to hear that yeah. story. And second of all, I want to roll with those people. <laughs> I mean, like that is, that is my squad. Those are my people. <laughs> I want to go explore the world and have epic adventures with them. And that's exactly what we did Yeah, for a whole year on yeah. four continents. You meet people at a whole different level. Just had epic adventures. And basically by the end, everybody that finished the program, I mean, it's family for life. Your family, family for Family sure. for life, right? Yeah. And then since then, I've been patronizing other work travel programs, right? Hacker Paradise and uh, Wanderers to Life. And I'm going to hopefully um, participate in Wi-Fi Tribe soon, which I know you hey, have done as well, right? Come and join us. Yeah. yeah. Well, tell me about that. How has your, uh, how has your experience been in plugging into some of those programs? What's that been like? Absolutely. So Wi-Fi Tribe has been really important to me the same way Remote Year was the kickoff for you. And Remote Year was the first one I, I read about, somehow found out. And I was like, this is incredible. People are traveling the world. They're going to these different countries. And for me, that was less flexible than I wanted to be. You know, I had certain places I wanted to go and I don't knock one or the other. I think everyone I've met from remote year has absolutely loved it. So I started with Wi-Fi Tribe, which is similar to remote year in terms of living a month at a time with like-minded people who are actually working. So, you know, they're not just backpacking, they are working and living in these places. And what I loved about Wi-Fi Tribe specifically was that it was really flexible. So they have several places at any given month that are new places throughout the world. So you know, they might be in, in Lisbon for a month. It might be, you know, I started in Bali for a month and then Thailand my next month. But, you know, at any given time, they're in Africa or Central America or Asia, or all over the world. And what I think is the best part about it that I love is that you're all starting this month and ending the month at the same time. So you're going in together. It's a brand new peop, you know, group of people and they become your family so quickly. So, you know, compared to my friends at home who might see for a couple of hours a week, if I'm lucky to like grab dinner with them after work or hang out on the weekend, you jump into these new places. Like I showed up in Bali and I want to backtrack for a second to say my family, my friends thought I was insane. They're like, you're going to Asia. You don't know anyone. And I'm like, you guys don't get it. There's people there. They're waiting for me. It's going to be my friends, my family. I've never met them, but I just know. And you know, the first day I got to Bali at three in the morning I was a couple of days late because I had a wedding. Somebody was waiting up for me in this home at three in the morning to let me in. I woke up the next day, went to breakfast with a couple of, I say, quote unquote, friends. I never met them, but they were my friends. And then worked in a cafe with them all day. The first day I landed on this new continent, went to a gym, like went to a boxing class with a friend and then had this family dinner with 15 people, part of Wi-Fi tribe in Bali. And it was like, these are my friends. These are my people. I get there and it's just all set up and I can keep doing my work without skipping a beat. I have this built-in group of friends who are like-minded people who want to travel and explore and do all the things, but are actually working and have a business and you you have your fun and you're serious as well. So I've continued to travel with Wi-Fi Tribe for several months. They're my family. I've met incredible people who I meet. You know, I'm, I'm in Lisbon right now. I'm meeting up with Croatia with a friend who I met on Wi-Fi Tribe in Thailand, who I traveled throughout Southeast Asia with afterwards. And it's this incredible community community that I will keep calling on. And, you know, I'll be in Guatemala in a month with them soon. I'm going to go to Bolivia, maybe Oman, like it's incredible. So for those of you who are worried about, 
you know, will I be alone? What if I travel? You know, the first four months I spent three nights alone and I was like, this is nice. I could use this. There's, there's people everywhere and they're incredible people. It's amazing. I mean, well, first of all, you and I actually know a number of overlapping yeah, people, right? Yeah. Um, shout out to Leah. Shout out to Leah. By the way, um, who's, who's amazing, <laughs> um, who, who I met on the Nomad Cruise. Yeah. And I actually met, so so to go all the way back in terms of my meeting Wi-Fi tribe people, even though I've literally never done the program right. yet, but I've been We're promising, you. I've been promising Julia that I'm going to do it ever since <laughs> I met her. You're coming to Um but my super amazingly good friend who did remote year with me, Nicole, she was after remote year started doing Wi-Fi tribe. Yeah. Right. And she was in Tagazut, Morocco with Wi-Fi tribe. And I was in Marrakesh. Yep. I was doing a remote year sort of alumni. I was plugging into a different remote year group yep. as an alumni, which you can do after you finish the program, which is amazing. So I was in Mar- Marrakesh and she was in Tagazut. And so I went out to visit her, stay with the Wi-Fi tribe people and hey. like basically <laughs> hung out with them for, 20, for 24 hours. We're and, awesome. And I was like, I'm going on the Nomad Cruise. And, yep. and they were like, you know, we're bringing 15 yeah. tribe people on the Nomad Cruise. So I hung out with our mutual friend Leah, who hey, was Leah. who was amazing, and uh, and she actually <laughs> jumped into my <laughs> jumped into my workshop and was it was such an amazing uh, contributor to my minimalist packing workshop. It was really funny because I was doing a workshop on how to travel the world for a year plus with carry on <laughs> luggage only, right? And she was like, "I, I need am to do in that. Gr- the greatest need of this workshop of any <laughs> human being on this cruise." She's like, "I've basically just come on like this nine nine cruise and I have this un- obscene <laughs> amount of luggage for nine nights. She's traveling. Carry on now. I know she is because she came to my workshop. So I it was know. amazing. She literally approached Changed me. Changed her life. Yeah. She was like, I, let, let me be your case study. Yeah. And during the <laughs> workshop, let me bring my gigantic luggage and then you bring your suitcase and I want to <laughs> downsize what I've brought in, put fit it all into your suitcase and whatever I can't fit, I'm going to leave behind on my next trip and I'm only going to take the stuff that fits in the carry on and she let's did. do it together as a case study. So it was hilarious. This was literally like the <laughs> night before my workshop. And all of a sudden now I have a case study, you know, with Leah, which was amazing. And of course we hung out and went, you know, did wine vineyard tours in Greece and just had this totally epic time together over the course of the, uh, of the nine days that we were together. But yeah. And then she of course turns out to be one of your best friends and yep. we know each other through that and all that. So like the way that these nomads circles yeah. and the social circles and the ecosystems overlap is just amazing. And you'll see these people just yes. again and again and again over the course of the year on these different travel circuits and these different nomad events. Yep. And so, you know, the way that I travel the world now is I am regularly plugging in yeah. everywhere I go. Yep. It's either uh, as a remote year alumni plugging into our new remote year group or plugging into a hacker paradise group or a wanderous life group or hopefully future uh, a Wi-Fi tribe group. Yeah, yeah. Um, or, 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 you know, any of these programs. Yeah. I, I, I fully support all of them with all of my heart and I hope they all yeah. succeed incredibly well. But every single place that I go, I know that there is a community yeah. uh, waiting for me to come. They know I'm coming. They can't wait to meet me, explore yeah. the city with me, hang out with me. And it's just, those are my people. Yeah. I think that's so important that a lot of people, you know, I didn't fully understand before I started it. And I think a lot of people is a fear that holds them back, right? You have this dream to travel, but you don't want to go alone. You don't, you know, you're afraid to do it. And now the world is different. Like there are so many 
different, not just named like five different ways that you can plug into these communities, whether it's remote, your Wi-Fi tribe, Hacker Paradise, outside, you know, these co-living spaces, they're everywhere. And you'll find that, you know, I, I almost compare it to my college experience. So I went to the University of Michigan, which is this huge school. And everyone's like, well, isn't this it's so giant? Like, how can you meet anyone? And I said, I can't walk around campus without seeing a million people I know. And you find your group and you find your people and they're everywhere. And it's the same with travel. I feel we just spent this week on Nomad Cruise where there was 222 of us. These are people that are now part of our network wherever we go. And I feel like now, no matter what country I go to, no matter what city I go to, wherever I am, I'm going to know people from all over the world and they're incredible people and you keep experiencing them and you're, you are never alone. It's like, even if you want to be alone, you can't, you can't be because there's people, you know, doesn't matter where you go. Does not matter. And in addition to the people that you have actually personally met. Yeah. When you do these programs, you get put into the alumni networks. Yes. And so even people that you've never personally met, but have done the same program, all of a sudden you have access to them. Yeah. And as soon as you meet them, you have the shared experience. So your family immediately, even though you've never met on like the first night. So like I was going last year to just as an example to Nairobi, Kenya Yep. for a month with a group called Wonders to Life. Yep. And so they curated a community of people that were going to do this, Mm -hmm. you know, work travel program, be based in Nairobi, Kenya for a (laughs) month. Okay. So in addition to that community, right, which by the, one of the people I had met in Hacker Paradise, I, I referred as well, um, <laughs> who, who listeners will know, Allie Green from episode 12, because I interviewed her on the Maverick show, who's amazing. So Allie actually came to uh, Kenya, which is where we did the interview. So I knew her from Hacker Paradise. The rest of the people I met through the Wondrous Life group that was curated there. Yep. Then from the Nomad cruise that I had gone on just prior to going to Kenya... I had met three Kenyans, right? And so I said, hey, I'm coming to <laughs> Kenya, right? There. Plus a Ugandan who invited me to come to Kampala and show me Uganda. So I knew all of a sudden all these East Africans yep. who were back in East Africa yeah. who wanted to show me their homelands, yeah. right? Then I just do a random post. Now, Kenya has never been a remote year city. Remote years never taken a group there. They've never been there. No presence right. there. Right. But I put out on the Remote Year Alumni Network, by any chance, is anybody (laughs) going to be in Nairobi in September? Six people are like, I'll be in Nairobi, I'll be in Nairobi, I'll be in Nairobi. So all of a sudden, I now have six Remote Year people who are going to be in Nairobi, one of whom is Kenyan. So we do a remote year meetup and the Kenyan uh, guy brings his whole Kenyan crew. Yep. Right. And I start talking to them <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah. They're like, well, where are you going after this? I was like, oh, I'm flying to Kyoto, Japan. I'm going to be in Japan for five weeks. And his Kenyan friend, mm-hmm. right, who I've never met before, that that he brought is like, oh, I just got back from uh, Japan. I lived there for seven years. I speak fluent Japanese. What? You know, yeah, Kenyan guy, Crazy. right? I'm like, what? <laughs> He's like, you want some recommendations? I was like, of course I do. So it's just like, you know, these networks just yeah. proliferate. And so any city that I end up in, it could yeah. be in, in East Africa, as this example yep. I just gave. And all of a sudden, I know just tons and tons yeah. and tons of people or I'm in networks with people yeah. that we have such a close affinity in the shared yeah. experience that they want to meet up and they want to hang out. And so you're never alone when you're traveling the world. Never. And I think it's important like this. I, I want for anyone listening, I want to point out that like, this is not just Matt's experience, right? Like this is for anybody. It's so easy. You know, when you're at home and in these safe places, you're friends with the people you used to know. And it's like, that's your circle. You don't need to know anyone else, but travelers are so open to meeting new people because you want a community. You need to know people wherever you go. And truly 
there's people everywhere. And if you want to do this as a lifestyle, take the leap and you will not be alone. You will never be alone. And you'll have just insane. And the most incredible people. Yeah. Incredible people. And you'll just have epic experiences <laughs> yeah. and stories to tell. Yeah. I want you to share at least one travel story. And you've done one thing. I, like I've lived in Spain for probably four months and I've seen almost all of the country, but you were just telling me <laughs> about this experience that you had in Spain with this tomato tomato yeah. fight, which I've never been to. Can you just <laughs> share what that was like and what it is? Yeah, it's really special. It's called the Tomatina Festival. I had a friend from college who had been dying to do this for like five years. And every year she was like, let's go. And I was maybe another time, maybe another time. And finally I just said, all right, whatever. I like, I like to travel. I'll go wherever. I'm going to go to Spain. Let's go. So the Tomatina Festival happens. It's about an hour outside Valencia every September, I believe it was we went. And you go to this small town in the middle of nowhere and it's filled with tens of thousands of people lining these streets and they throw it's like 20,000 pounds of tomatoes or something insane where you are. If you can imagine being at the most crowded concert you've ever been at where you can't move, you can't walk. Like someone's basically holding you up. If they move, you'll fall. Imagine that in these like small street towns in this small town in Spain and you're just waiting. Everyone is wearing goggles for about, for what's about to happen. And I, like these garbage trucks come through with tomatoes that are the perfect perfect ripeness that they're not so hard that if they throw them at you, they will not hurt you. And they come through these thousands of people. So you're even more packed in and they're throwing tomatoes at you. And I say, it's not like a tomato here and there. It is thousands of pounds of tomatoes and you're covered in tomatoes. Your goggles are so tomato filled. You cannot see. And by the end of it, you're, I mean, imagine this in a town, the streets are knee deep in tomatoes, like liquid tomato. Like you never want to eat a tomato again. And people are just throwing them. It's a, it's a food fight. It's the biggest food fight in the world. I'm pretty sure. And it's one of those experiences that I went to is like the most fun thing you never, ever want to do it again ever. But I mean, it was, it was an experience for sure. And you got a story to tell. Got a story to tell. I mean, it's all about the stories to tell, right? That was, that was one. It is. Yeah. It's amazing. You go around the world and you just it's see crazy, this insane, white, weird, crazy wild things. stuff and you just participate in it. <laughs> and Why you not? These epic stories Why to tell. not? So, so great. Awesome. All right, Marissa, at this point, are you ready to move into the lightning oh, round? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. What is one book that has really influenced you over the years you'd most recommend that people check out? Yeah. So the number one, number one, this is not unique to me. Tim Ferriss, Four Hour Work Week, changed my life. I read that book in 2014. I was living out in LA, working for Pepsi on vacation in Hawaii, reading on this beach I will never forget. And it changed my life. And since becoming a nomad, since talking to people, you know, I am not unique. He changed so many lives reading this book to realize that you can live a different life. You can work online, travel the world, live and work a different way. And if the story is Matt and I are telling sound appealing to you, 
go read that book. It just impacted so many nomads. So that's the first one. And then as a second, because I feel like that's like a cliche at this point, but a really important one for me was called It Starts With Why by Simon Sinek. And if you're wondering, you know, what's your purpose? What do you want to do next? Who are you? What's your mission? I think that's a really fabulous one to read and to get to know yourself and to learn what's important to you. Awesome. What is one app or productivity tool that you're currently using that you'd recommend? I'm going to go with Canva for that one. C-A-N-V-A. So it's kind of like an easier version of Photoshop. And you can use it whether you want to create Instagram posts. I use it to create any PDFs, any freebies, any guides. You can use it for just about anything to create imagery, to create, again, just any kind of tools that you need to use for your business. It's awesome and super intuitive. It's not hard to use. Awesome. What is one blog you read or a podcast you listen to or YouTube show you watch? One content medium that you would highly recommend to people check out? So many. I live and binge everything, but I'm going to go... If So if the online courses resonated with you throughout this podcast, um, there's a woman named Amy Porterfield. Her podcast is called Online Marketing Made Easy. And when I, I bought two of her courses, I can't recommend her enough. If you want to learn to build a webinar, build an email list, you know, she has tons of free podcast episodes. I would just go through and click on the episodes that were resonating with me at the time of where I was. And she is incredibly step-by-step, super tactical about things you need to know to build an online course and online business. If you were able to have dinner with Mm. one person, either an author, celebrity, public figure, anybody that's currently living today, and it was just you and them for a few hours of dinner and wine and conversation, who would you choose and why? I'm going to say Tony Robbins. So I recently, just a few weeks before I came here, was at one of his events called Unleash the Power Within. And I actually have my own coaching certification through Tony Robbins. I think he is one of the most incredible humans on this planet. I think he's an incredible businessman. The things that he has accomplished business-wise as a salesperson, as just an entrepreneur is off the chart. So I'd love to learn from him from that. And then in terms of, you know, he's a coach, he helps people with their lives, with their mindsets. I would just love to, to talk to him for any amount of time I could. If you were able to go back in time and give one piece of advice mm. to your 18-year-old self, knowing everything that you know now, what advice would you give to 18-year-old Marissa? Yeah, one piece. I'm going to kind of mix in a couple in one. But basically, when I look back at my 18-year-old self, my high school, my college self, I thought I had to be on this path that was to be perfect, to do things that people felt proud of. And I would tell myself, don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid to do things that aren't perfect, to try things that aren't impressive. And really just to follow what excited me, no matter what anybody else thought and whether I failed, whether I tried, whether I did it, just to keep following those clues of of what was exciting and what didn't matter to other people. Awesome. All right. Now we're going to get into the really, really important stuff. <laughs> I have a feeling I know where this is going. <laughs> when, when you and I first met, literally the first conversation that we had 
we got into hip hop really quick. And, Real quick. And I learned that you are a major hip hop fan and that hip hop has been really important to you ATL. in your life and significant. Exactly. Uh, and maybe share a little bit about that, about where you're from and what it's meant to you. Um, feel free to give that context first. Um, but then I want to ask you for <laughs> your top five hip hop artists of all time. All right. So to give a backtrack, I, we haven't talked about where I'm from. I am from Atlanta, which is a really special place in terms of hip hop music, in terms of rappers. And as I grew up, you know, my friends in high school, like that is what we lived and breathed. It's a really important part of Atlanta culture. So when I met Matt, we got real quick into the the hip hop space. So I'm going to list off the top five I gave to you in that moment, I think I would have to do some some thinking and there's a lot of incredible artists. But so number one I gave to you was Luda. We gotta go Ludacris. I gotta rep ATL. He's done a lot of really important songs in my life. <laughs> so Ludacris is number one. Number two was Lil John. And I wanna preface that with like the music is fine, but I just in terms of the joy he sparks in my life, I always said if I could have a GPS he would be the voice of it. Like, that's the important part of Lil John. So that's number two. Uh, number three was Twista. I, I love the speed at which he, he spits his rhymes. Uh, number four was Kanye. And then number five, I think was actually you reminding me of my love for him. But Bubba Sparks, ATL. I fucking love Bubba. College Park, Bubba Sparks. <laughs> yeah, represent. Boom. Represent. Well, rep I, I, I love it. I love uh, I love this. so awesome. <laughs> it's so awesome. And that was such an amazing opening night conversation that we had and how deep we got into that. And of course, I asked you for your top five right off of the course. bat. Of course. And you dropped them. And uh, that was, I think, what? And then after, well after that, we began talking about business and travel and everything else. But All the other got, important things. We got to be very important stuff first. Yeah. All right. Um, so two final questions okay. for you with respect to travel. Okay. You've been to f- at least 45 countries yep. now. What are your top three travel destinations for you personally of all time? Yeah. It's an impossible question, truly, because I think that each piece of a country and the people you meet, it's, you know, they all add different things. But to the, to the best of my ability to answer that question, I'm going to say number one was... Machu Picchu in Peru. I think it was an incredibly magical place to hike up to the top and see this incredible village that people built on top of this mountain. And it was a special, I went for my mom's uh, a birthday of hers and it was just a really incredible travel experience. That's one. Number two, I'm going to go with Myanmar. So I did this um, hike from a town called Kala to Inlay Lake. It was a two-day hike. I slept in a monastery. I was hiking with people from like France and Japan and South Africa and one of those moments of incredible people and incredible landscapes and incredible locals. I think it's not yet overrun with tourists. And if you're listening to this right now, go before it is. It's it's awesome. That's number two. And number three, I'm actually going to say um, Torres del Pine in Chile. I think it's one of the most incredible natural landscapes. I love hiking. Matt knows, I've told him many times, I don't like to be in cities. I'm here in Lisbon, but I love the outdoors. I love to hike. I love to be in beautiful, beautiful landscapes. And 
that one's there's something magical about it. So those are my top three. That's awesome. And, and Myanmar, I've never been to. Chile, I've been to, but I have not been mm, to Torre del Paine. So it's beautiful. The W Circuit hike yes. is yeah. Do the W hike totally on my list. Do it. And those are those. I'll are go actually, do it again. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> those are big time on my list. Supposed to be some of the most amazing yeah, scenery in the world is. for sure. Um, okay, so. Of the places that you have not yet mm. been, yes, what are the top three bucket list destinations highest on your list you'd most love to go that you've never been? Mm. Love that question. So number one, I want to go to Rwanda to see gorillas in their natural habitats. I love animals, I love outdoors, so that's a big one for me. Number two would be the Maldives. I love a good tropical beach. I could live my life on the beach. Like the sun is my place. And I think that that's just the most beautiful place in my mind. So the Maldives are number two. And then number three along that theme would be the Polynesian islands like Tahiti, Bora Bora. I just want to, I just want to explore the beaches of the world basically. So those are mine. I love that. And the gorillas. (laughs) And the gorillas. I love that. That's awesome. All right, Marissa, I want you to let people know how they can get a hold of you, how they can follow you on social media, and how they can learn more about what you're up to. Absolutely. So there's a couple places. To start, if you go to, we'll link this in the show notes, I'm sure, but marissamedin.com slash maverick. We'll give you some awesome tools of some things we've talked about Number one, how to actually build a vision board, like step-by-step of the goals to write, how to do it, how to use Canva, my favorite tool to build it. I'll give you a worksheet about how to you know, overcome those limiting beliefs. We'll give you some questions to ask yourself if you're not sure of what to do next. So if any, any of those topics resonated with you along the way and you want to kind of enter that world, we'll link in the show notes again, marissameden.com slash maverick to download some of those worksheets and, and helpful tools. So that's number one. And then Instagram. Instagram is just a fun place to follow me. I post stories, pictures of my travels at ML Medin is my last name. We'll post to that link to that as well. But if you just want to see where I am and what I'm up to in my, my normal traveling nomadic life, come follow me there. Awesome. And we are definitely going to link everything from the show notes. So if you just go to the maverickshow.com, we're actually going to have links to all of the resources that we talked about in the show, the books and the apps and everything Marissa's recommending in addition to the website where you can get her free stuff and that awesome bundle of things. Um, just though, can you spell the uh, URL just in case anybody wants to take it off the audio? We are going to link it up to the show notes, but how do you spell it? Yeah, so it's Marissa, M-A-R-I-S-A, my last name, Medin, M-E-D-D-I-N, dot com slash maverick. Awesome. So you can go there to get your free bundle of cool free stuff bundle. and uh, get into Marissa's yeah, ecosystem. Yeah, come into my world. Come into her world. It's and, a good world. <laughs> uh, uh, learn more about the amazing stuff that she's up to and uh, the people she's inspiring and all that good stuff. So Marissa, this has been amazing. It has been awesome to have you on the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Matt. It's been a blast as always. All right. Good night, everybody. Be sure to visit the show notes page at themaverickshow.com for direct links to all the books, people, and resources mentioned in this episode. You'll find all that and much more at themaverickshow.com. Do you want to learn how to travel the world for a year plus with carry-on luggage only and look good while you're doing it? 
Go to themaverickshow.com slash packing to see a free recorded webinar and learn exactly how Matt does it. He shows you the luggage he uses, the specific items he packs, and the travel brands he likes most. Even if you're just looking to go on shorter trips, but pack more efficiently and eliminate your checked luggage, you won't want to miss this. You can watch the free recorded webinar at themaverickshow.com forward slash packing. Learn how Maverick Investor Group can help you buy cash-flowing rental properties in the best U.S. real estate markets, regardless of where you live. Schedule a free phone consult today at themaverickshow.com slash consult. Now you can buy rental properties with tenants and local property management in place so you don't have to be a landlord or a rehabber. To get your questions answered and discuss how Maverick Investor Group can help you meet your real estate investing goals, schedule your free phone consult today at themaverickshow.com forward slash consult.